ahead and uh, open your Bibles. We're going to be taking a break from our series in Jeremiah, and we're going to be taking that break through February. Um, and so it's going to be a selection of Psalms that we're going to go in to the best of our ability, um, sequential though not following one another order. So, for example, I'm preaching in Psalm 3, and Matt will be preaching in Psalm 12 next week. Um, so we're not going to be going in order of Psalm and then the following Psalm and then the following Psalm, but we will try to keep them in order as you see them in your Bible. Hearing Jeremiah preached, um, and <laughs> preaching it myself, has been a great encouragement to me, and I hope it has been to you as well, Though, I think we all can uh, sort of identify with one another a sense of uh, there's like weight with Jeremiah, right? Like it's heavy. Um, the texts, the chapters that we are preaching are sometimes without a explicit gospel um, statement. Now, it's in there. The book of Jeremiah has Christ all throughout, but the chapter that we preached that Sunday morning, the Christ of that passage might be three chapters from now. <laughs> and so, you know, going Sunday in and out, we can at times feel weary. I hope that as we go through these Psalms that you will be encouraged, you'll be refreshed, um, and that these psalms will actually equip you in such a way to see Christ in Jeremiah, even in the darkest chapters of Jeremiah when we return in March. So our sermon series will be titled, Salvation Belongs to the Lord, subtitled, Faith in Times of Trouble. Um, both Jeremiah and I am hoping our series through the Psalms uh, feel apt for 2020, right? Um, there have been many uh, times of trouble, many kinds of trouble throughout our year so far. Um, not, you know, the least of which would be the election coming this week. Um, the virus that has even our church service split from sanctuary to fellowship hall. We have um, times of crisis like Morris, even just now, this week, um, experiencing pain in his body. Faith in times of trouble, these psalms are to encourage you um, to see even in your despair, Christ even in your despair, to see hope. So, um, salvation belongs to the Lord, faith in times of trouble. As I said, we're going to be preaching from Psalm 3. I'm going to go ahead and read the chapter. It's short. Um, and then we are going to get started. So, Psalm 3, a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. Selah. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill. Selah. I laid down and slept. I woke again for the Lord sustained me. 
I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord. Save me, O my God. For you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Selah. Pray with me. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Father, I pray with David here that you would arise, that you would arise in our nation, that you would arise in our world. But Father, I pray that you would arise here at Cedar View Baptist Church. Father, I pray that you would deliver us from the despairs that we are facing. Father, if any of us here are feeling any measure of hopelessness, which I know that we are, Father, I pray that we would be encouraged this morning, seeing and following the example of David as he lamented his son, his own son, pursuing him to assassinate him. Father, we love you. We praise you. In Jesus Christ's name, we get to pray. Amen. So this is one of the few Psalms that has a direct historical um, like account within the scriptures. So you should see um, in your Bibles before verse 1, as I read, um, something to the nature of a Psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. Now, it's my understanding that in the now Tuesday morning Bible study um, that you guys might have just gone through this in 2 Samuel. So if you desire to turn your Bibles, I'm going to be reading the text, but if you desire to turn there, 2 Samuel chapter 15, starting in verse 13, is where we're going to be looking at. Obviously, keep your finger in Psalm 3. We're going to be coming right back. Now, um, 2 Samuel 15, 13 and 14. And a messenger came to David, saying, The hearts of the men of Israel have gone after Absalom. Then David said to all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, Arise and let us flee, or else there will be no escape for us from Absalom. Go quickly, lest he overtake us quickly and bring down ruin upon us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. So David finds himself in a predicament, right? Um, he finds himself in a place where Absalom, his own son, has uh, formed a sort of coup, right? To take over the nation and to assassinate David, his father. Um, you know, Asher's three, and so we haven't had to uh, quell any coups in our household yet. Um, but I can imagine, for those of you with grown children, uh, any fight or argument you have ever had with your sons, I can't imagine that your son threatened your life and your kingdom. Um, so this is a, sort of a unique situation that we, you know, can't I readily identify with today, but we can identify simply with sons being angry with their parents. So, 
The comment made here, the hearts of the men of Israel have gone after Absalom, helps us understand David's concern in the first verse of chapter 3 in Psalms. O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Um, Now that we see the historical context, that's almost an understatement, right? Oh, yeah, many are rising against me. I mean, I have the, uh, the picture of maybe... Um, David getting jumped, right? David uh, being surrounded by like six or seven guys to beat him up. No. (laughs) Absalom has turned the nation against him. So many are rising around me. Oh, yeah. The entire kingdom that I was king is rising against me. So we skip ahead to 2 Samuel 16, uh, verses 5 through 8. We see more context. When King David came to Behurim, there came out a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera. And as he came, he cursed continually, adding insult to injury, as we can imagine. And he threw stones at David and at all the servants of King David and all the people and all the mighty men on his right hand and on his left And Shimei said as he cursed, get out, get out, you man of blood, you worthless man. The Lord has avenged you, has avenged on you all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son Absalom. See, your evil is on you, for you are a man of blood. So this descendant of Saul, um, King Saul, to be clear, was cursing David, claiming that David's kingship was illegitimate, um, which we could understand as a descendant of Saul, why Shimei might feel that way, David having taken the kingdom um, from Saul himself. So Shimei is convinced, wrongly, that God desired Saul to be king and not David. Shimei declared before David, this is God's will on your life. You are an evil man getting just desserts. So, verse 2, many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. Everyone is surrounding David. Everyone is proclaiming to him that David is wrong, that your kingship is illegitimate. Absalom is saying, it's my kingdom now. Shimei's coming out here and saying, you should have never had the kingdom in the first place. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. Now, I give you this information in the introduction Um, Because I agree with Longman from the Tyndale Commentary commentary series who said, and I don't don't, uh, read commentaries to you often, uh, but this is short and helpful. Although the psalm's context and attitude are perfectly appropriate for the time, speaking of 2 Samuel, at least according to the portrait of David in the historical books, the Samuel books, The purpose of the psalm is not to memorialize the events. It's not to be 
an extra history, okay, but to provide a model for those who find themselves in similar, though not necessarily identical, situations. Now, again, few of us, I imagine, um, have stories of our children seeking to kill us. But again, we all likely have, who have children, um, stories of our children trying to overtake our authority. Sure, right? Asher's, again, Asher's three. Rose has not yet tried to overtake my authority. Um, except, I guess, when she cries when I take something away from her. So even Rose, okay, has tried to usurp my authority. We can all relate. Likewise, who among us has ever felt isolated, alone, without a friend in the world in a given situation? Who has ever put themselves out into a situation where now, ugh, maybe I took a step too far, like I, I'm, I'm alone now. I don't have friends around me. I would say all of us in our sin, if you have a sin that you have not confessed to a brother, then you have experienced loneliness. You have experienced isolation. You have sinned before a holy God, and no one around you knows of your despair. So, Psalm 3, though it is historical, is immensely practical for us today. Though it is speaking of a specific time in history, it can be applied to us in many stories today. Our theme this morning, the despairs of this life should cause the Christian to declare God's promises and to cry out for deliverance. To understand our theme this morning, we will evaluate three exclamations. So we have despair, declare, deliver. Okay? Despair, declare, deliver. It wouldn't be a... Uh, Baptist sermon if it wasn't both alliterated and three points. But the text dictates it. So, um, despair. Despair, this life will be full of turmoil and shortcomings. Declare, speak the truths of God aloud. Deliver, our God is faithful to save his people. Despair, declare, deliver. First, let's examine our despair. So despair, this life will be full of turmoil and shortcomings. Um, Psalm, we're going to be looking at the first two verses, one and two. I'll read them again. O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. Selah. Now, as we continue this morning, just know that we'll be, you know, flipping through our Bibles to some degree. You can follow me if you prefer, but I will be reading them all out loud so you can just sit in Psalm 3 and listen as I read. Um, so, there's two major categories, okay, of this despair that we're going to talk about this morning. I'm sure we can come up with, you know, any number. But this morning, we're going to be talking about two categories. We're going to be talking about uh, despair from our failures, 
and despair from our circumstances. So first, despair from our failures. How many of us have experienced failure this week? There's a few hands. And then the rest of you are liars. So, who has experienced despair from failure? All of us. All of us have failed this week. Maybe we did what we shouldn't do. Okay? So that would be a sin, um, a failure of commission. We did what we shouldn't do. Or maybe we failed to do what we should. That would be a sin of omission, a failure of omission. So whether we, ha- we failed to do what we should or whether we did what we shouldn't, I guarantee all of us have failed this week. Regardless of the type or size of that failure, we probably felt some measure of despair. I pray that you felt some measure of despair because if you failed or sinned before God and felt no despair, I would question, you should question in your heart of hearts, is the spirit within me convicting me and making me more like Jesus? Some part of us, though, believes that we should have been better than that failure, right? Some part of us believes that we should know better by now, regardless of our age. I don't imagine that I will ever reach a time in my life that I will just ah, arrive, right? Oh, I haven't failed since I was 20 years ago. I shed that part of me. I hope that all of our seniors in this room and in the fellowship hall can assure me, oh no, we still fail. (laughs) Failure is a part of this life in this sinful flesh. Some of us, though, some part of us fails to believe that Christ has truly succeeded where I failed and that Christ has overshadowed my greatest triumphs. So church, not only has Christ succeeded in your failure, but anything that you cling to, your greatest success is overshadowed by the work of Christ. How does Paul describe our battle with the flesh? This is in Romans 7. I'm going to be reading. You can turn there if you like. Or you can sit as an, and listen as I read. Starting in verse 13. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, omission, but I do the very thing I hate, commission. Now if I do what is if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that is good. So that no longer it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. 
God help us. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want to do, I keep doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it again, but sin within me. Despair, church, will be stalking around us as long as we have sin and failure in our lives. Yet even when I want to do what is right, sin wells up in my fleshly being to do what is wrong. Church, we see in our own lives the despair of our failures, the despair of our sin. But, but, God help us. There is despair that comes from our circumstances too. There are other times where we see the broken world around us and fall into despair due to difficult circumstances. Even when we do everything right, what happens? Something still goes wrong, right? Now, who has felt some measure of despair when they are getting their Bible reading done? They're praying every day. They're tucking their children in with prayer and scripture. They are attending church. You are doing all the things, checking all the boxes, and praise God. You are encouraged in your spirit. And then, whether it's the failure of someone close to you, or it's just the reality of a broken world, an unexpected bill arises, an unexpected hospitalization takes place, an unexpected failure of this world takes place, and what despair do we have before God? God, I'm doing everything right. And yet, despair still comes. There was a man who uh, did more things right than likely any of us in this room, and his name was Job. So I'm going to read Job chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. And again, you can sit back and listen as I read. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, all that a man has, he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face, Satan says to God. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand. Only spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with loathsome sores from the soles of his foot to the crown of his head, and he took a piece of broken pottery with which to scrape himself while he sat in ashes. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God, and shall we not also receive evil? In, the, in all this, Job did not sin with his lips. 
So the scene is Satan is prowling around the earth, and he brings to God this idea that man does not desire to actually worship God, and God, not Satan, supplies Job as an example. God says, what about Job? What would you do to Job? So Satan goes forth and uh, just essentially ruins his life, suffice to say. Job, even as he had the sores from literally head to toe, not even to toe, to the bottom of his feet, he did not sin with his lips. But even as strong in the face of horrifying adversity as Job was, Job crumpled in despair of his circumstances as well. Look just a few verses later in 3.1. After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. Now, Job was a righteous man in that he did not curse God. But Job was crushed under the weight of his despair. Though he was blameless before God, his health, his wealth, his family was taken from him. And he cursed the day of his birth. Despair, Cedarview, is a part of this life. And if we do not know how to reconcile before God with this despair, we will be crushed and we won't be as righteous as Job. I fear that we will curse the God who saved us. I fear that we will curse the God who gives us our breath. I fear that we will look for our own good and not to the glory of God in the face of despair. Can you relate to David? Can you relate to Job? Can you relate to me? Psalm 3, 1 and 2, O Lord, how many are my foes. Many are rising up against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. Do not listen to the words of the many, church, saying, there is no salvation for you. It is a lie from the enemy that your flesh will latch onto and feed upon and fester within your hearts. What tools do we have to combat these lies? The despairs of this life should cause the Christian to declare God's promises and to cry out for deliverance. Despair Declare, deliver. So, from here on, praise God, we can look to the hope found in Psalm chapter 3. Let's look at declare. Speak the truths of God aloud. So as we relate to David and to one another in experiencing despair, we must encourage one another to follow David's example. 
okay? To declare the truth of God. Look at verses 3 through 6. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I laid down and slept, and what happened? I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Know that verses 3 through 5 are not proclamations of feelings, okay? David is not saying that he feels God's presence as a shield. David is not saying that he feels God lifting his head. David is not saying that he hears God from his holy hill. David is declaring what he knows to be true even if he doesn't feel it to be true. Now, this is crucial to understanding not only this psalm, but all of the psalms that we will examine in this series. I am not calling you, church, to feel better feelings. I am asking you to follow David's example and even when he was being pursued by his son to murder him, he declared what he knew to be true, even if he did not feel it. So, let us declare who God is by speaking the truths of God's person. So, what are we declaring? We're going to be declaring the truths of God's person first. David is not just speaking poetically. He's referencing scripture as he declares these truths, okay? So David is affirming God is a shield from Genesis 15.1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield and your reward will be very great. Abram, Abraham, the father of the people of God. God's promise to Abram is not to Abram alone. David claims the shieldness of God for himself. The shield of God for his people. Praise God that we can proclaim with our brother David the truth of who God is. The God that David declared to be true is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Why? How do we know that to be true? There is no variation or shadow due to change in our God, says James in 117. God has not, does not, and will not change. There's a lot that we can discuss there, but the hope of that truth today is that with Abram, Abraham, and with David, you and I can also claim the shield of God. In addition to who God is, we can declare those things God has promised us. Declare the promises of God's care. Verse 4, I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill. Here, David is repeating his declaration regarding Saul who pursued him. Okay, so back in 2 Samuel 22, 7, 
In my, in my distress, I called upon the Lord to my God. I called. From his temple, he heard my voice, and my cry came to his ears. Does that sound familiar? It should, because it's a repeat. David repeats his prayer to God from when he was pursued by Saul as the same prayer that he prayed to God when he was pursued by his son to kill him. God will hear the cries of his people. Praise God with me. David is declaring the truth of Leviticus 26, 6 and 7 in verse 5. I lay down and slept and I woke again for the Lord sustained me. Let's look at Leviticus. I will give peace in the land and you shall lie down and none of you and none shall make you afraid. And I will remove harmful beasts from the land and the sword shall not go through your land. You chase your enemies and they shall fall before you by the sword. David claims the promises of Leviticus 26, 6 and 7, before his God. David can declare his faith even though he may not feel faithful because he can rest in the promises and truths of God because God cannot change and God cannot lie. And look at what great promises we have today that David did not even have to proclaim in Jesus. Romans 8:26 Likewise the spirit helps us in our weakness for we do not have we do not know what to pray as for as we ought but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words and he searches hearts and knows what is in the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God and we know that for those who love God all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, praise God, he also glorified church those who are have repented and believed in this room those who call themselves christians in this room we can declare the promise of god that those whom he justifies he also glorifies the work that was started in you will be completed not by you by God himself. David declared the truth of who God is and what God promised to his people. Those truths gave David the strength and boldness to declare, I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. David can say that statement truly. And why? Because David, even if he doesn't feel it, believes the truth and promises of God. The Christian must declare God's truth in despair, and the Christian must also call out for deliverance. So deliver 
Our God is faithful to save his people. We're going to look at the last two verses of three. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. For you strike my enemies on the cheek, you break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Selah. If you're like me, this prayer is uncomfortable. It almost feels wrong to say before a holy God. It feels too bold. It feels out of character. It feels fake. It feels forced. It feels awkward. Arise, O Lord. Who am I? Who is David? But my encouragement to you is that David is not demanding that God arise by his own authority as if he had some special right to order God around because he was king. David's boldness to command, if we could say that, God, is not based in his own authority, but it is based in the authority of the promises and truths that God already set forth. Because God said that he would deliver, David says, deliver! Because God cannot lie, and God never changes. Do you, are you starting to see the hope of those two realities? Cry out for deliverance awkwardly, church, until it feels natural. Call out for deliverance confidently, and call out for deliverance hopefully. So call out for God's deliverance confidently. We're going to look at Hebrews 4.16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Stand tall, Christian, you when you approach the throne of God in prayer. Stand tall knowing that the woes of your failures were washed away by the overwhelming worth of Jesus Christ's life, death, and resurrection. The success of Christ was credited to your account, and your debts of failure were washed away by his blood. Do not shrink back from your God in despair, even if you brought that despair upon yourself. Looking at verse 7, Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. David isn't shy. Again, he demands that God arise. David and you and I can go before the throne of grace boldly and don't order God around as if you have authority, but search your scriptures, search your Bible for the promises of God, search your Bible to see those truths that you can declare and based upon those declarations to make demands. God, you said you would deliver me. Do it. You said that you would lift up my head. Do it. 
And God may not respond the way that you desire him to. But I see, looking in my Bible, far more followers of Jesus, followers of the way, Christians, people of God. I see them praying far more boldly than I do regularly. And it's not because they have special privileges. Again, they pray boldly based upon the truths of God. Because you are my shield, O God, defend me. Because you are the lifter of my head, lift me out of this trouble. Our declarations of truth give way to calls for deliverance. So approach the throne of grace boldly, but also approach the throne hopefully. Call for God's deliverance hopefully. Salvation belongs to the Lord is the title of the sermon series because of verse 8 in this chapter. But what is the salvation of the Lord? The people of Jesus' day thought it was a Messiah to deliver them from the Roman Empire. They thought the salvation of the Lord was political, that it was a power grab to take over the kingdoms of this earth. They're not totally wrong. But did Jesus come and do that? Oh, not really. What did he do instead? He came preaching the kingdom of God and the people of God saw that the kingdom of God was being spread in the hearts of men, not through the hands of men. Maybe some of us are looking for salvation of the Lord in the coming election. But the salvation of the Lord is far greater than any momentary political victory. Presidents are elected and then they leave office. Look back at every military or political success of Judah or Israel. It is always, always, we've been going through Jeremiah. We know, always followed with what? Lots of failure. Not just a little bit, not just a little oopsie. Like, God's people are delivered and then they squander all of it. Wicked people that we are. No, the salvation of the Lord is not some momentary victory. We live in a broken world where every victory will give way to defeat eventually. Ecclesiastes, Solomon's just like, <laughs> he just laughs. Vanity of vanities, all is striving after wind. We do not serve a political party, nor do we serve some man or woman that will one day pass on. We serve, and praise God, we serve the King Jesus, who humiliated himself in putting on flesh, who lived the life that you or I failed to live. He bore in his body on that cross every drop of the wrath of the Father. And then he died. And that shedding of blood was poured out upon our wicked souls for those who have repented and believed. Jesus was raised on the third day so that we too may have life. 
salvation belongs to the Lord, church, and his salvation is final. It is total. It is everlasting. Rejoice again with me as you behold this glorious scene recorded by John the Apostle that Adam read this morning. Look at Revelation 7, 9 through 12 again. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, before we continue, this is the people of God. This is the people of God from every tribe, nation, tongue, and time coming together in that final eternal day in what robes? Black? Spotted? Dirty? No, white robes washed in the blood of Christ. And what do they say? Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and the people and the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen blessings and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Salvation, church, belongs to the Lord, and the kingdom of God will not pass away like the kingdoms of men. Cedarview, call out for deliverance from your despair this morning and call out to God in hope. Our deliverer will never fail. He will never wither. He will never change. And let your boldness continue. Call out for God's deliverance and for his abundant blessing. As we, con as we conclude, let us recall and consider David once more. Even King David, the greatest king God's people ever knew, experienced devastating despair over his circumstances, right? Even the man after God's own heart experienced devastating despair as a direct result of his own shortcomings. The guy murdered and adulterated, right? Like he slept with some man's wife and then murdered her husband. Again, I pray to God that none of us fall as low as David did. David was both a greater man than you or I will ever be and also a far greater failure. I can take comfort in these truths knowing that I will never match David's greatest success nor, hopefully, um, Lord willing, will I ever match his greatest failures. And this comparison to David is important because the one man, Jesus Christ, has succeeded in every place that David failed. And even those successes that you or I can't even reach David, the successes of David pale next to the brilliant glory of Christ and his success over sin. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, Therefore, 
Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that was set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Despair from our circumstances and despair from our failures find their end in the founder and perfecter of our faith, Jesus Christ. Declare before all peoples the excellencies of Jesus who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. As we respond, call for the deliverance of God today from the despairs that you are experiencing today. Declare the truths of God's goodness in his promises. Cry out for deliverance this morning, saying, I believe, God, help my unbelief. I'll be in the front if any desire prayer or to talk, listen and reflect as Josh comes and as I read Ephesians 1, 3 through 10. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth, in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, Jesus, things in heaven and things on earth. Pray to God to deliver you and be hopeful that the God that you pray to has poured out every spiritual blessing upon you in the heavenly places.